0: This is the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast from Advanta IRA, where we show you how to explore investments beyond Wall Street and open your eyes to new options for your portfolio. It's time to take control and give yourself the freedom to choose where you invest your money.
1: Hi, and welcome to another edition of the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast. Today, we're pleased to welcome on Josh Ziegelbaum of Legacy Group. We're going to be talking about investing in uh, coffee plantations in Colombia and Central and South America. So you don't want to miss that. So definitely stick around. But today on the download, the U.S. Department of Justice is investigating how $372 million in crypto assets were stolen in a, in a breach right after the bankruptcy was announced for crypto giant FTX. This is just another big mess that is uh, surrounding Sam bankman frieds helm of the crypto giant that has just been imploding over the past several weeks now he is in custody uh, out on bail in california awaiting the trial that is going to probably be rather protracted and long once everything is unpacked with uh, what could be one of the largest fraud cases in u.s history again what remains to be seen what actual charges are brought what actually he may or may not actually be guilty of so it is a wait and see on that one uh, but this is acting as a rather big boat anchor on almost all crypto assets we have been seeing a rather precipitous slide uh, since the announcement of this large case against the trading giant ftx and all meter research so it is kind of anyone's guess as to how long this slide will last but again, maybe there's some opportunity for investors to get in uh, with depressed values of crypto assets. We have certainly seen that they can uh, rise to some pretty meteoric heights with Bitcoin getting up into the $60,000 per coin range, now trading around the $16,000 mark. So quite the loss in value, but you know, it does go to show that there maybe is some plays that could be made in cryptocurrency right now. But with uh, seems seemingly daily additional updates on how just bad this implosion of FTX is, it's uh, kind of anyone's guess as to how long it'll take the markets to stabilize. But the Department of Justice is investigating, they have indicated that they have managed to freeze some of the assets that were extracted primarily in the form of Bitcoin and Ethereum. However, some of them have been run through uh, mixers, which are programs that are designed to hide the origin of different cryptocurrency assets. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see just how much of this $372 million worth of assets can actually be recovered. Now, in other news relating to tech, uh, again, this is a manufacturing company, but the news of Tesla, uh, some bad news today, they have announced that they are shuttering their production of their Shanghai facility for the foreseeable future as demand is definitely not there. And they are also having supply chain issues. This has just marked a terrible, no good, very bad year for the company uh, that was once one of the most valuable in the entire world. They have seen $700 billion wiped from their valuation That is a whole lot of value being wiped for their valuation as of Tuesday. Now, this is um, almost a uh, 8% uh, reduction in share price just today on this announcement. So that is... Uh, You know quite the uh, quite the amount of reduction in just one day on the news of the shuttering of the Shanghai plant. However, the more telling story here is the fact that Tesla's value has reduced to pre-pandemic levels. They saw their share price rise to almost over four hundred dollars per share, and now it's trading in the mid to low hundred dollar per share price. So. Definitely something to watch out for. Um, you know, again, maybe there's a play with the depressed value, but with them talking about reducing production and also coming out with other discounts for individuals that are going to be taking delivery of cars by year's end, uh, the immediate future is not looking too great as far as the value of their share price out of Tesla. So, seeing how long that Shanghai production facility is going to be closed for, most econ- economists are seeing a cooling period of demand for many goods out of China, whether that is. Finished goods, raw materials, things going into and being sold in China is definitely a slowing uh, demand market. So again, kind of, kind of a wait and see on how this is actually going to play out. Interesting news out of transportation, though. Southwest Airlines, uh, once the darling of everyone that wanted to travel with two check-free bags, is seeing the blues today as they have canceled thousands and thousands of flights over the past several days. Over the past five days, they have seen a 6% reduction in share price and almost an 8% drop in price today alone on trading. Now, averaging that over the past five, it's about a 6% reduction in share price. But an interesting tell is that as of Tuesday, 1227, they accounted for over 80% of all canceled flights in the US. Uh, that is absolutely wild. They had almost 2,400 canceled flights as of 1227, the next highest car- carrier being Spirit with less than 100. And that's absolutely crazy. Uh, thinking about a US domestic airline that has a relatively new fleet just being hammered by inefficient workflows, weather different infrastructure issues um you know if you are invested in transportation and you hold some southwest uh, definitely some, some some things to look at as far as uh, inefficiencies and issues that are happening there now last week i reported that the country of oman uh, a gulf a persian gulf country which is rich in oil reserves was planning on increasing Their amount of oil production, which I mentioned was kind of strange as most of the uh, Persian Gulf countries kind of fall in line if they're not a part of OPEC, uh, kind of fall in general line with uh, the general sounding and orders of what is coming out of OPEC when they have their meetings with regard to how much they produce and x y and z it's normally kind of in line with what is what is stated by opec however oman kind of breaking with that so that they were going to increase production and this week they have announced a joint agreement with the countries of japan and the united states to increase the production of liquefied natural gas which is good news for those of people that are heavily reliant on heating this winter or in greater need of uh, energy consumption this winter, as this is a very widely used energy product for those types of applications. So interesting to see that this is actually coming to fruition of something that is being done. Um, Hopefully, this alleviates some issues that people are going to be having with uh, heating and cooling and energy costs this winter. So good news uh, with the announcement of of the joint production plan between Japan, Oman, and the United States. This has been The Down. Today on the what is, what is a hurdle rate? A hurdle rate is a minimum rate of return or a... projection of investment required by a manager or investor. It allows companies to make important decisions on whether or not to pursue specific projects. The hurdle rate can describe the appropriate compensation for the level of risk present, riskier projects generally having a higher hurdle rate than those with less risks. In order to determine the rate, the following are some of the areas that must be taken into consideration, associated risk, cost of capital, and the returns of other possible investments or projects. This has been the hurdle rate. Hi, and welcome to another edition of the Alternative Investing Advantage Podcast. Today, we are pleased to welcome on Josh Siegelbaum, who is the Director of Investor Relations with Legacy Group. We're going to be kind of talking about some interesting stuff today. You know, we've talked about a lot of different types of real estate, different investments on this podcast, everything from, you know, investing in crime scene cleanup houses to commercial real estate to private equities. We haven't touched on coffee, um, you know, something certainly uh, most of us, I would say, are pretty used to, but maybe aren't really familiar with the investment side of things. So very pleased to welcome on Josh today. We're going to kind of get into, uh, you know, investing in emerging markets, uh, Central South America and, you know, what investing in different aspects of this market uh, entails. So Josh, maybe give us a little bit of background about yourself and, you know, how you got from, you know, you're starting your career to where you are now, and then we'll branch off and and get into the nuts and bolts of of this type of investing.
0: Thanks, Alex. It's great to be here uh, recording this podcast with you. Let me give you a bit about my background and my roots and how I got to where I am today. So I was born and raised in central New Jersey. um, Out of of school, I, I went to Rutgers University where I studied economics. And once I graduated, I started immediately in financial services. So in my early 20s, my first a uh, job in the industry was in insurance. I was with Northwestern Mutual for about a year. Kind of quickly realized that I wanted something a bit more dynamic than that. So I started in banking. So I climbed through the ranks at Wells Fargo, and Wells Fargo Advisors. Uh, worked there for about six years. Most recently, my last title was as a private banker, managing relationships at the bank of high net worth individuals and business owners and that brought me from New Jersey to Miami. So in 2018, I did a lateral transfer as a private banker. I started working in Miami Beach, and it was a great chance to work with a different caliber of clients that had different needs and kind of expand my skill set. Uh, After being here for a year in in 2019, I I transitioned over to private equity. I met the partners who I work with today, a legacy group, Cole Shepard and Adam Jason. And we focus on investment opportunities in Latin America that produce high social and environmental impact. And we do private placements, early stage company investing. Our flagship portfolio company is Green Coffee Company, Colombia's number one largest coffee producer. Um, As director of investor relations, I I raise capital, I manage our investor base of 370 investors, our assets under management, approaching $50 million. And and we're doing some interesting things down in Colombia. I I sit in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where I'm based and where I work out of. The the partners live in Medellin, Colombia, where the operations are. And we're very hands-on and are bringing unique investment opportunities to investors here in the United States.
1: Awesome. Yeah. I've, uh, you know, throughout my career of, of doing, you know, strictly alternative investments for about the past 10 years, I was one of the more interesting things that I found, um, you know, coming into this, you know, I, you know, coming out of college, you know, you have a general understanding of, you know, here are assets in the United States, there's hard assets, there's securities, you know, kind of getting into, you know, I understand real estate, X, Y, and Z. When I first got my first taste of investing in Central and South America, you know, it was it was definitely kind of a paradigm shift of a way of thinking of thinking, okay, well, you know, people think about investing, you know, just in a certain light, but just how much different it really is from what you do in the United States, especially for US citizens investing in foreign countries in Central and South America. Um, you know, just you know, the different kind of issues and, you know, things that you have to overcome to do that now, which I find very interesting and I could go on for for hours on that. So, you know, for the, you know, the aspect of what Legacy Group is doing, what was the initial aim? Um, you, know, you said Green Coffee Company is kind of the flagship of your portfolio. What was the initial aim of the investment side of this? You know, coffee is kind of easy to understand. You know, you plant, you know, coffee bean producing things and coffee bean producing regions, you harvest, you sell basic economics kind of plays into that. But let's talk about the investment side of things. You know, what was the opportunity that was seen? Because, you know, any investment, there has to be some type of opportunity for growth. So what was kind of the initial, you know, onset or outlay of capital for what you were trying to accomplish? And what were some of the issues that you ran through along the way? And let's just kind of go from there.
0: Sure. So I would love to unpack that. So we did our seed funding round in 2018 for the company. And the company was founded prior to that in 2017, And it was birthed for investors based on their needs. So we had high net worth individuals that were interested in alternative investments, particularly real estate investors who like real asset backed investing. And these investors, they were comfortable in the traditional asset classes of multifamily, self-storage and and things of that nature. And and they were comfortable with Columbia and and traveled there and, and were looking for something that was real asset backed that... They could invest passively and get exposure to the market so we birthed green coffee company based on the idea of buying up assets consolidating infrastructure and paying out cash flow to investors that was the initial idea and to make an income-oriented investment um, in the alternative space uh, focused on latin america sustainable agriculture we quickly realized that we were thinking too small and and this company really turned into a much more growth oriented investment over time as we went through the, the the rounds after the seed so we went full cycle on seed series a our our series b round last year we're, we're currently in our series c and and as we've gone through the years and 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 drove the business forward we we saw that it was coffee was an industry that was ripe for disruption people were using antiquated practices um, in terms of farming uh, very manual laborious practices people being paid informally not the way in which things are done here in the us and we saw a, a real opportunity to disrupt the market entirely fast forward to where we are today we have the most sophisticated processing facilities in latin america Uh, We're in the process of building out a distillery on site at our farm so that we can monetize the waste from coffee production and create ethanol and spirits. Uh, As we look towards the years to come, we're planning to build a U.S.-based roaster so we can transition from green coffee sales, which is unroasted coffee, into roasted. So the thesis has evolved over time based on the business and, and where we see opportunity and also based on the needs of our investors Uh, Today, it's most certainly a growth-oriented investment. People that work with us are looking for exposure outside the U.S. They're looking to diversify away from traditional real estate, traditional stocks and bonds, and even other private equity-style investments that are available to them. And they love that it's real asset-backed and it's an operating company. But really, as, as we drove the company forward and peeled back the layers of the onion, we continue to see ways in which we could Um, focus on circular economy, create additional revenue streams, add value in the communities. And we're the largest employer in the community where we operate. And and we're really just getting started here. We have a goal of taking the company from a private company that it is today to be a publicly traded company in the US with, with a target year of 2026. And that's what our investors are most excited about.
1: Awesome. Yeah, no, Well, that's a good good way to good, good kind of few branches that we can unpack there. So let's kind of start from the beginning. You initially have a, you know, an investment opportunity seeing, you know, you said disjointed uh, workflows of, you know, how workers are paid, how things are kind of, you know, how the actual production of this thing works. So it sounds to me like you're trying to bring things together and get things more vertically integrated from the fact that you have, you know, your, your plan, and again if i'm using the wrong word but the best word i know is coffee plantation you know you have your farms the places that that produce this stuff and then you have you know roasters which i'm assuming used to be probably a third party you had to farm that out so bring that in capturing waste just like you know corn and different um you know high <clears throat> high ag things did in the united states with different crops and things like that so that's all you know very interesting but when you initially came in what were some of the first things that were um done now Was it kind of one of those things where you had different farmers all doing the farming of these beans Did you kind of do a a real estate consolidation of saying, okay, let's buy the real estate. Let's bring all this under one umbrella. Um, Let's kind of start from the ground up on this, because I always find this stuff interesting, you know, from the commercial real estate side of things that I've done so much of in the United States of, you know, looking at different models of how people operate these things. What was kind of the first things that were done, you know, to kind of build the base of, you know, the trajectory and the path that you're looking to go forward now?
0: So the initial acquisitions that we did in 2018 was six, just over 600 acres. So the seed funding round capital funded the initial consolidation of several smaller landholding families. The bulk of landholding families in Colombia are very small, it's properties that have been passed along for generations that are not sophisticated operations and and they operate independently from one another. So what we've done is we've consolidated these farm holdings and land holdings, and we're doing it in a central region. Uh, We're in the town of Salgar, which is about two to three hours outside of Medellin. And in 2018, we we bought those 600 acres, and, and we've been scaling ever since in that same region. To where we are today, we're at about 6,600 acres. But that initial acquisition and the strategy since then has been a consolidation through acquisitions. We often use seller financing and favorable terms for us in order to gain control of the assets and their production, um, handle payback periods, back out of those payments with investor equity, and really, in terms of the finan- the financing, it's all been done with our own capital and with investor equity uh, in terms of you know, building up this portfolio of, of land holdings. The background of the founding partner of Legacy Group, who's also a Green Coffee Company board member, Cole Shepard, he was working for a big four accounting firm, Waterhouse Coopers, doing international mergers and acquisitions advisory uh, on a global basis. And he's applied those skills and, and all these techniques, and, and we're doing it at scale in Colombia and consolidating smaller holdings. Uh, so that's really the theme in terms of what we're looking to do in terms of consolidation. Now, with all those land holdings, you need a place to process the coffee cherries. So we've built two central hubs or wet mills where we take the coffee cherries from our farms and from those neighboring farmers uh, through our coffee cherry buying program. And we take all the cherries and we process them in our own wet mills. And then we sell farm direct wholesale green coffee, which is unroasted coffee. That that's the that's the business model that we're doing today. Great, that's
1: that's awesome. Now I know from my experience in Central, and and again I have a lot more real estate experience in Central America, so Nicaragua, Mexico, Panama, um, uh, Costa Rica, place like that. Of, of buying real estate in those in those places I have had a little bit and by I mean like maybe two transactions in 10 or 11 years of, of buying anything in Colombia um, but I know at least for a lot of people that maybe have some experience buying real estate um, in Central and South America you know, if you're, I know if you're an individual investor, if you're a, uh, you know, if you're a, a foreign, an FDI foreign direct investor, you have to form like a holding company within that country in order to purchase stock. And that company actually holds title to the land. Um, you know, how did you, you know, that's a little quirky and maybe a little bit odd and kind of, you know, as a once removal of asset ownership. Is that something that, you know, you had to overcome, which is kind of the status quo of investing down there? Did that offer any type of issues to your actual? Um, methodology of investing down there is that just you know kind of how it works or was there ways around that or I, that's something i personally am, am interested in because it's always kind of a pain to deal with when when doing that on the smaller scale
0: yeah but that is most certainly how things are done there you know as a foreign investor you, you would need to own through a fiduciaria or, or a foreign entity, or, or what is a local entity there in Colombia. So, in terms of the structure and how we've made it as easy and frictionless as possible for investors to gain access, we issue common equity for our investors in a US parent company. And under that parent company, we have operating subsidiaries that are wholly owned by the parent, and those subsidiaries are Colombian entities. Through those Colombian entities are where we hold title to the assets, and then another for operations, of course. So investment in terms of what how our investors are concerned, U.S. common equity. But you're right, we do have to overcome that hurdle of of ownership, and we've done so with operating subsidiaries uh, in Colombia.
1: Yeah, and that's what I I, I never like to make an assumption, but I kind of in the back of my mind thought so. It was just. It's one of those things where, you know, it's interesting just looking at, you know, how, you know, with as diverse when you say Central and South America, unfortunately, you know, uh, people in the United States have a tendency to kind of lump, you know, a continent and a half together when it comes to different uh, cultures and everything. But there is a big commonality thread once you get to the Mexican border going all the way down to uh, Chile, like of like a general way that things are done as far as real estate for a lot of those countries. There's nuances here and there, but that you know, it's just something I always like to ask when I don't have a lot of experience. So, you know, definitely interesting to know, because that's one thing that I've had clients that want to invest in Central South America and other places that get hung up, because there's a lot of issues, you know, whether it's, you know, you know, income reporting for FATCA, whether it's, you know, how these things are actually structured, or how you own these things of, you know, most people want to make sure that the investment is in a US company. Externally from that, they could have foreign investments, but having that US common share, basis of your investment is a big benefit to a lot of people and not so much to the IRA side of things. You know, you can own foreign stock in those kind of in these kind of accounts. But, you know, good to know that's at least kind of how that's initially done because it makes things a little bit simpler for the investor. So from the aspect, you know, that's kind of how you're structured. You have the um, you know, the roasting of the coffee cherries. So from there, what were some of the issues that you ran into? You know, you you know, real estate acquisitions are kind of real estate acquisitions. You make people that own the land a good enough deal, make it enticing for them to want to sell, whether that's owner financing or a cash out. Um, you're buying in a centrally centrally located region. Obviously, that makes things like transportation and, you know, getting to all of your assets a lot easier than having to drive clear across countries to, to these different places. So what were some of the issues? Um, you know, I, I, again, I see the definite the benefit and, you know, bringing the uh, processing of this stuff, but I got to imagine that, you know, it wasn't as easy as just buying a piece of land putting a, a processing facility on it. So what were some of the the hurdles and some of the learning experiences that y'all had um, from trying to implement this investment strategy of consolidation of land and production to consolidation of land and then the production of the actual uh, raw material?
0: It's definitely a relationship-based business. So even just starting from the acquisitions, you know, it's not as simple as just identifying buyers and, and making a deal. I mean, there is really no liquid market for buying up, coffee land land holdings, right? So we have to negotiate with people in person in rural areas, often speak to many members of the family. And those negotiations could go months, even years in certain cases. So today we're the known buyer in the region and people come to us. Yeah. Uh, when we started this and even you know, not too long ago, we would have to actively seek out acquisition targets. So building those relationships over time has been key, and having the local knowledge and expertise in order to do our underwriting on the proper cost and price that we need to pay, what terms of uh, CapEx and monies are needed to build out the farms that we're acquiring to get them at full capacity. And, and, and also, you know, in terms of production and what we do operationally as a team, you know, bringing in key talent. Uh, I don't want to say it's been a challenge, but it's been something that's been crucial to our success. So bringing in our CEO and president, Boris Woolner, several years ago, who is a 25-year veteran of Colombian agriculture, Uh, one of our advisors, Marina Restrepo, former chief agronomist at Starbucks in Colombia. So bringing in the key talent in order to drive forward the business plan has been very important to us and, and crucial to our success. and. That hasn't been easy. You know, we, we we often have to go to multiple interviews, find the right person. Sometimes you try someone and it's not the right fit. So we're constantly learning and growing as a team, who, who fits where in the organization. And, um, and yeah, and then from a technological standpoint, you know, the vendors that we need to, to buy the equipment, you know, we're bringing in technology from developed Europe and, and other parts of the world. So building out those relationships over time, I don't want to say it's been a challenge, but it's been an important thing we've had to overcome. Uh, and it's something the team's done a great job of, I'd say.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I can imagine. And, and for the most part, these um, farms are in a relatively rural areas, correct? They're not, you know, kind of on the outskirts of places like Medellin. Am I, am I correct in that assumption?
0: Yes, it's Salgar, the town that we're in now. I, we're gonna be expanding out of Salgar, but our central operations are, are there now. It's two to three hours driving outside of Metagene. So it's definitely rural. We're the largest employer in the town. And um, yeah, it's definitely a different vibe than you'll find in, in the city, of course. But um, very easy access, I, I could I would say, you know, there's roads to Metagene and We'll often take uh, investors and visitors out uh, by helicopter, and helicopters twenty minute ride from from the city, so it's it's
1: it's okay. pretty quick to get
0: out there. But it's definitely a rural location.
1: Yeah. So, did you have any like issues with? And and I don't know necessarily how high tech a uh, you know coffee cherry processing facility is. Uh, did you have any issues with like building infrastructure out there? Um, you know, or was it kind of you know is it is it basically just kind of like bringing in some heavy equipment? It's not like you needed to. You know, you're not building a data center in the middle of the jungle, but you know obviously there there might be, if it's very rural, you know issues with just building something that you know from scratch. did you have any kind of issues with the actual um, hard infrastructure for your plan?
0: I wouldn't say we've had issues, but it's definitely it's more complex than than you might think. We are building data centers in the middle of a rural <laughs> area. We are actually doing that at at our facilities, we have an entire control room that collects data from the farms, we have sensory equipment on the farms. um, And we have a fully automated wet mill, which is operated by engineers and and a small team so it's, it's really an incredible amount of equipment it's not just a couple pieces but we've sourced equipment from all over the world in order to create a fully automated wet mill processing facility. And we do have the data center and equipment and all that <laughs> on site there. And we have a, a duplicate facility that we just did uh, recently in the last few months. So at the in October of 2021, we opened our first wet mill with data center and all that. And then in a few months ago, we opened our, our most recent one in another farm location in Salgar. So. A lot goes into it. I can tell you we learned a lot doing the initial facility in October of last year. And that was a very, we had a strong learning curve that was already established going into the second facility that we built out this year. But um, I, I attest a lot of the success in terms of that to Boris Woolner, the CEO and president. He's done a great job with his relationships on the equipment. Everything shows up on time and and in the order that it's needed and we have people there to set it up and it's managed all the contractors and the build out we built entire facilities from nothing so we built big, giant facilities from the ground up and brought in all the equipment from scratch we have some really cool videos of this on our youtube channel so maybe we can link to that at the end here and for anyone yeah. that's interested in seeing more footage well... facilities it's, it's a cool it's a really cool thing <laughs>
1: well it's interesting to be be proven wrong when i said it's not like building a data center in the jungle when it literally actually is so interesting thing to uh to have a counterpoint on so that's that's really interesting so you are bringing a good amount of um you know tech into these relatively remote places and i know from some of my other you know investments that i I've, I've helped do that um colombia is actually getting a fair amount of um, you know, higher tech investment with people, you know, going down there. I wouldn't say it's, you know, turning into a huge tech hub, but, you know, of the surprising places you may not think, um, I can't remember whether it was, and forgive me, my, my geography, my geographical knowledge of, of Columbia is, is relatively simple. Um, I know Medellin is there, but, um, you know, some of the other bigger cities are getting more of a tech footprint. So, you know, not that, uh, you know, maybe some people listening to this go, how the heck could you do that? you know they're they're certainly getting some more high-tech investment and development in that country so you know that is that is pretty interesting that you are kind of building out again really focusing on that vertical integration of you know information systems um hard hardware systems you know production hardware systems data all the way up to distribution um you know once you kind of get those and you said you're going to have those partners for roasting domestically correct
0: that's correct. Uh, we recently launched our, our roasted coffee brand, Abira, which we'll also link to in the notes. I'll be sure to mention that at the end here. But that is currently being roasted through a third party in the United States. In the Series C funding round, part of the proceeds, $15 million of the proceeds, is, gear, is earmarked towards the build out of a US based roaster. So we expect by 2024 to have our own proprietary US roasting facility where we could pump out north of 30 million pounds of roasted coffee on an annual basis. And we'll be sourcing those cherries, of course, from our farms and facilities in Colombia.
1: Great. So... I mean, it's all it's all kind of well and good to say, hey, you know, here's what we're doing. And I think most people can say, oh, well, instead of buying from independent farms, own the farms, produce it. Oh, instead of paying someone to process the raw material, do it in-house. It's easy to kind of say, yeah, that's a that's a good idea of how to do it. But let's say in comparison, I mean, that obviously costs a lot of money. That's why you had a series A, a series B, and now we're on series three of raising funds to do these things. But what would you say is kind of the appreciable benefit? You know, obviously you don't know because you Y'all haven't really necessarily done it, but what would you say is kind of just like a general figure of how much more you could get out of this? You know, would you say it's maybe 20, 30, 40%, you know, more efficient or profitable to go the direction you're doing it um, versus kind of trying to piecemeal it all together? You know, what would you say? And again, you don't have to use percentages, but what are maybe some larger metrics to say, hey, here's the best reason that we could say maybe it can be as simple as the basic law of kind of integration for economic and workflows? or maybe it's something a little bit more niche that people don't think about of the reason of why you did it, Uh, maybe expound on that a little bit.
0: Yeah. Let me unpack a bit of the growth and and where we see things going in the years to come here and and a bit about where we were, even as recent as last year. So in 2021, we did full year revenue of about $1.3 million. And here in 2022, we expect to do just over $10 million in revenue. So about 10 X last year's revenue figure, and we expect profit north of our total revenue last year, uh, in, in awesome. this year. So, and how did we do that? We we raised capital in the series B round last year. We bought additional farmland. We built out that first facility, which went online in October. And then we have another one this year, and, and we really ramped things up here in 2022. As we look towards future growth, the Series C round is a $100 million funding round, $25 million in equity and $75 million in debt. And with that $100 million, we're gonna be buying significantly more land holdings. So we expect to grow from 6,600 acres today to 15,000 by year end next year. We expect to build out that US based roaster with $15 million. We expect to build out the um, distillery with $6.5 million. And essentially, with all this growth capital that's being injected into the company, we're building three main verticals, green coffee company sales, roasted coffee sales, and byproduct sales. We expect to go from the $10 plus that we are in this year to over $250 million in revenue in 2026, based on a set of assumptions on us deploying this $100 million, buying additional assets, building processing capacity. So even from where we are today, there's so much upside in terms of the company and how much further we can go. Uh, we could even replicate this in other areas outside of Colombia at a point, but the current model today is focused on Salgar, where we are now, building one other operating nexus in another part of Colombia. So we want to replicate what we already did with this central hub and control production in another region of Colombia. so we can have year-round production, then scaling up that roasted, the byproducts. So it's a really exciting growth plan ahead and one which is hard to duplicate as a competitor. I mean, first, having the access to production at scale and at origin, it's no easy feat. And... You know, we, having a local management team with international expertise is key, and the growth is just so exciting. It's what makes me really happy about what I do, and and how and part of my communications to what we tell investors on a regular basis. But the growth plans from here are, are significant, even though we've done a lot already and have already solidified our position as Colombia's number one largest coffee producer. We have a goal of being the world's largest Arabica coffee producer in the next couple of years, and our ambitions are multiplying.
1: Awesome. That's really, that's really, you know, it's good to have ambitions, but I think the, the, the enticing part that you mentioned to me, I'm a, I'm a big gearhead. I love, you know, anything with a motor with two or four wheels, I'm a big fan of. Um, and uh, you know, you mentioned ethanol production, which is, I believe wholeheartedly with the trends of a lot of things is going, you know, we're going to see a big push, if not a complete adoption of blended or ethanol based fuels coming 10 20 30 years so I get excited when anyone's talking about byproduct production of any crop whether it's you know corn in the states whether it's rice whether it's you know and I I honestly didn't even know that you you have a byproduct capable of, of fermentation and ethanol production with coffee so would that be you know a, a coffee again I'm just tangentially familiar with the fact that I drink the stuff every day and I see the package it's like uh the coffee bean it's like a like a red cherry pit right you know like you have a outer, you know, fruit, and then the coffee bean is what you roast. So that outer fruit, I'm assuming is what is, you know, has, you know, sufficient sugar content to ferment, correct?
0: That is precisely correct. So 80% approximately of the coffee cherry fruit is waste. It's the cascada and all the byproduct on the outside and the bean in the center is what you're referring to. That's the coffee bean that we know and drink. And that's really only, around 20% of of the fruit. So there's waste here. We produce tons and tons of it at our wet mills. And and yes, it's high in antioxidants, high in sugars. And we've done research and development with the University of Los Andes in Colombia, And we found that it's a great product to create ethanol. And with that ethanol, you can create other things. You can even sell it as fuel, as you mentioned, but you can create other things like vodka and gin and, and other spirits
1: yeah absolutely. I uh, you know I just <laughs> I just it's it's always really interesting when you learn something new like that. So what it currently what do you do with that byproduct waste? Is there any like secondary market um, you know for stuff like that like of animal feed or is it just literally just tossed out into a big pile?
0: Typically, unfortunately, uh, other producers will use it as it's waste. It, it, it'll be discarded. As trash, uh, sometimes people or farmers would use it as a supplement to fertilizer, so you can blend it with fertilizers and use it on your farms. But you're not really repurposing it to its full capacity. In other cases, we don't do this, but it'll be uh, turned into pollution. It'll be thrown in rivers, and it's just not a not a good thing, unfortunately. But um, it, it'll be used as as fertilizer and other things, and. There are other cost-cut up products. So there's somewhat of a market for, for, the, for the waste, but it's limited and not as nearly as profitable as if you made your own product out of it, of course.
1: Yeah, and that's really cool. The fact that, you know, you're taking, you know, you have kind of have, you know, three different plays. You have you have a real estate play here on, you know, the the value of the underlying assets of what you're doing. You have the production from that real estate of the, you know, production of the coffee raw material, and then obviously you're building out kind of another two with the roasting and the, you know, kind of the, you know, farm to table, if you will, the whole, the whole vertical of production to, you know, end user sales. And then also that aspect of being able to generate cash flow from an industrial application of this. And I'm I'm always a big fan when you can look at, you know, any industry when they try to be, you know, more efficient, because I think efficiency, not just in, you know, workflow from the capital aspect side, but just you know, our stu- being stewards of our planet, um, you, know, you know, put the little, you know, peace signs up and, you know, got to save the planet, but it's, you know, you can make money doing this stuff, you know, just throwing something away is never going to be the most beneficial thing, whether it's, you know, people using biofuel stuff to power a production facility or using natural gas from an oil refinery to help power it and this kind of stuff. I think that's really awesome um, and, a, and a big benefit of, you know, an aspect of what you're doing that I find, Commendable. So you know, best of luck with with building that one out. Now, from there, you know we've kind of covered you know the the you know catalyst of of why you came into this. You know, seeing the issue of you know having an industry that was ripe for disruption because it's so disjointed. You know, I'm assuming you have some huge players out there, and then you know you have the small people, and then leaves a big range in the middle to kind of come in and change workflows, and then gets it scale to the big level. Well, not having to come in with, you know, all the capital initially of the people on the big level. So, you know, from there, where you're at right now, um, you know, besides, again, some of the developments that are, you know, exciting to you, you know, in the next, let's say, two, three years, what are some of the, you know, things that are going to be in place that are, you know, you're excited to see happen, um, you know, with this, uh, th- this plan?
0: I'm excited for us to unfold where we're going and and delivering on the three pillars that we mentioned. So, the continued scale through acquisitions through the end of next year. I'm really excited to see land holdings continue to grow uh, the vodka and spirit products you know, by end of next year, early 2024. We expect that vertical to start kicking off and then fast forward to 2024, about you know, two years from now, maybe a bit less because we're at the tail end of 2022 yes. at the time of this recording, but that roasted coffee build out. So I'm just really excited to see this all take shape. You know, it, it's so Incredible to be a part of this, you know, from and even see where we went from the Series A to our Series B. Watch the deployment of capital and how it's effectively done. How we employ people, the lives in which we impact in the communities. When I go and visit the farms, I, I just see the looks on the faces of our employees. It makes me really happy that I can play a part in in their well being. I'm, I'm going back in February, and I and I hope to see some nice progress made since my last trip this year. And uh, even beyond that and beyond Green Coffee Company, I know we have uh, goals of, of entering into other portfolio investments on behalf of our investors, bringing unique opportunities to market in innovative industries that we see as ripe for disruption, where investors could make outstanding financial returns. And, and, and then, of course, as it relates to the returns here, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing us go full cycle here. We're forecasting through 2026 an exit for our investors in Green Coffee Company. I know that's several years from now, but definitely excited to see how that all takes shape. We're dual tracking the company for sale or IPO. Um, Our IPO track is is our preferred method and our preferred exit. We're forecasting an 11x net return on invested capital in our Series C round. So really looking forward to seeing this go full cycle and, and, and through an exit for our investor base.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's really awesome. Now, are there any particular issues? Um, you know, I've I've gone through the backend administration of a couple different companies that our clients have had holdings in um, that have gone IPO. So I have enough information to be dangerous, but I'm you know no expert on on the topic, and I definitely haven't seen anyone you know a company um, you know I've worked with a big insurance, private insurance acquisition holding, and a few other things, but. Um, as far as a company that holds, you know, primarily foreign assets, um, as, as y'all do, are there any particular, you know, roadblocks or things that you have to do to go forward with an IPO on a U.S.-based market?
0: Audited financials are one, and we're doing just that. So we're about to do, we had 2020, 2021, we're going to have our third year of audited financial statements coming up in next year for the 2022 operating year. That's an important piece and, and one that's important and it's a requirement uh, in order to become a publicly traded company so we're, we're checking the box there um, in terms of you know obviously assets are are based in colombia until we have our roaster but you know there's no issue on, on that front we, we have a u.s structure so in terms of like an investment perspective it's it's most certainly a u.s based investment but we need to locally audit uh, the assets and and the books in Columbia at the operating subsidiary levels. That's an important piece. And then we do it at at the parent company level through uh, another firm, uh, like a a large accounting firm that assists us there. So we'll continue to need to build the capital stack, both debt and equity, uh, really build up the balance sheet and position the company uh, for a successful exit, really lever up revenues and and profitability. That that's an important piece. I'm getting value, not so much, um, something logistically that has to be done. Like like yeah. you mentioned, like like the audit would be. But we really want to get the company in a position operationally where it makes sense, and we can get the the highest ROI for our investor base.
1: No, absolutely. I mean, you know, you don't want to you don't want to premiere an IPO as a a pink sheet. You want to make sure you bring, you know, sufficient value to all the underlying investors and and everyone in that vertical. So that's that's definitely interesting. You know, I've again, I've worked with and I'm currently I will be working on an investment that's going public on a foreign exchange. So that'll be interesting. But um, I've never really dealt with, you know, one I just always got to ask, you know, there's IPOs can be, you know, very boilerplate or they can be unnecessarily complicated um and typically they fall into that second bucket of being <laughs> unnecessarily complicated i've had um one friend that worked in uh, high tech out in california with a few different companies and he he would track through went through an ipo and then went to a different firm was like i'm never doing this again got in with another firm and then they had um you know an investor meeting and said hey we're positioning for an ipo and he just keeps banging his head against the wall but i'm like hey you got options so it's not the worst position in the world. So, you know, I digress, but, um, you know, coming back to this full circle, you know, you have, you know, you've done all this stuff. Um, Are there any other things that, you know, we kind of haven't covered that you think would be interesting to dive into? We got a few minutes left um, in the interview. I've kind of asked most of the questions and gone down, you know, some of the the rabbit holes that I've wanted to, but um, anything that we haven't touched on that you think might be interesting for people that are interested for investing in, Central and South America coffee industry.
0: Absolutely. You know, several things come to mind, but one thing we didn't touch on too much is impact investing and the specific things that we do differently than the competition in that regard. I know we talked about innovation and and operations, how we acquire land and all that, but we didn't really unpack too much on the social and environmental impact. So happy to touch on a couple of, of points that I think would be interesting to your yeah, listener here. Absolutely. Yeah, so in terms of formal employment, I mean, we provide formal employment for 100% of our workforce, and this is something that's been in progress for some time. This is just not the way that business is done in, in Latin American agriculture, specifically in Colombian coffee. People People are usually paid cash with no benefits, and if they're injured... So what? Basically, they're left to be on their own and there's no health insurance, pension benefits to, on a substantial basis for, for people working in the sector. So in terms of pension plans at Green Coffee Company, we pay 75 percent of our employees' pensions plans. Sector average is just one percent. So light years ahead of the competition there. Healthcare coverage, an important one, sounds normal for people in the U.S. that might be listening to this. 100 percent of our employees are covered by healthcare the sector average is just 3% in Colombian coffee formal banking so paying people into bank accounts allowing them to build credit and and become productive members of society we pay 95% of our employees right now more or less in formal banking and the sector average is under half that 41% so we're we're not only revolutionizing the technology at the farms and the way in which we grow and harvest coffee and produce it in our facilities we're revolutionizing the way in which people are employed in the industry and the impact on all relevant stakeholders. Uh, on, that was on the social side, and on the environmental side, we reduce water, we reduce waste. Our planting mechanisms use biodegradable pods as opposed to plastics. Uh, the standard is plastics and plastic bags, literally, for for coffee trees that are planted. So we're reducing tons and tons of waste from the environment. We reduce water, we're monitoring weather patterns and very proactive uh, from an environmental component. Also building out a solar farm at at our at our facility so we could power it entirely with renewable energy. We have an entire presentation on impact. We didn't really talk about it too much here, but just wanted to touch on a couple of those high-level points that are that our investors find interesting that I thought I would mention here on the podcast. No,
1: that's that's definitely awesome. I've had um you know a few different uh people on here that either um uh promote like um like ESG type structures. I've had one company that actually is a private investment firm that specializes in just doing uh, economic, social, and uh, governance investing in different companies and their whole portfolio is the main, um, you know, driving force behind any of their investments. So it's not something I typically ask about, but if it's something that y'all are proud of, I'd love to get into that stuff because I think it's you know important to look at that because, like you said, on the disruption of it, if you can you know come in there, buy these acquisitions, and then also attract a labor force, and I'd have to go out and find one, you know, because people are gonna be like, oh, well, you know, if they're expanding. I could go work for them and have X, Y, and Z benefit, you know, instead of you having to go sort things out, then you're getting, you know, a a highly skilled labor pool that's trying to come to you as opposed to having to flush it out yourself. So I think that kind of thing definitely attracts, you know, you're attracting more flies with honey. hate the analogy of the equation there but you know it's it's the the generality of it is that you know you put something good out there you will attract the quality that you're looking to get out of it one thing i do have a question on though is um does columbia have um uh state provided health care now
0: um not across the board no i don't believe everyone is eligible um for state health care there
1: okay gotcha i I, again, I don't know a whole lot, but, um, you know, that's awesome that y'all are providing uh, health benefits to individuals down there. Now, has there been any type of issue or like roadblock besides just the monetary outlay to do these kind of things for your, um for the governance portion or, or how you're doing that? Is is there any additional roadblocks that y'all found to that besides just, you know, having to write more checks? Was there anything that you kind of ran into on that front? We've been very
0: proactive with building relationships with the local government. Um, Being the largest employer in the town of Salgar, we have great relationships with the mayor and the chief of police. At our recent inauguration of our our second wet mill, we had an address prepared by the governor of Antioquia, which is the state where we operate. We had congresspeople and senators present uh, for the inauguration. Earlier this year, we received an award for best innovation in agriculture from Colombian Congress. So these aren't necessarily roadblocks, but we're paving the way to have less roadblocks <laughs> at a later date and as we drive forward the business. So we've been very proactive in that regard and building relationships with local government, making awareness about our practices around sustainability and impact. and I wouldn't say that it's um been a roadblock per se, but but we're being um proactive in in the sense that we're doing things to raise awareness there locally with the government uh, to gain their support on a regular basis.
1: Awesome. Yeah. It's uh, you know, to kind of bring it in for a landing, it's very surprising to me, you know, when you mentioned, you know, at the beginning of this and for the background of people listening, I didn't have much of a background past just a a general call with Josh just to, you know, introduce ourselves to what we were talking about. It is very surprising to me that there's still an industry as big as coffee that has as much opportunity to do what you're doing there. Um, you know, what you're doing while in no means easy to execute seems rather simple when you talk about it. You have something very disjointed. So you bring together the production, then you get processing, then you have all these things that you kind of learn if you're if you went to college, like kind of economics 101 of increasing workflow and efficiencies, that there's something as big as coffee that was available to do this. Um, you know, which I guess would go to show if you're looking to do something, there are opportunities out there in industries as big as something like coffee to allow you to, you know, make a profit or make an impactful investment somewhere. So that's one of the things that I found most interesting from our conversation was that there was somewhere as big as coffee, which is, you know, I would say like almost everyone at least is familiar with, if not consumes, that's over the age of like 15 in the United States, um, that there's something that was, you know, as, as, you know, fruitful <clears throat> for, um, for your strategy. So, um, you know, again, thanks for the information. Thanks for taking the time with me today. Um, you know, if people are interested either in the investment side of things or, you know, anything else you have going on, um, you know, outward facing, how can they get in touch with you? Where can they find uh, more about what you're doing?
0: Sure. On the investment side, you can find us on our website, Legacy Group. It's legacy Group. Co. You could also send me an email at investor at legacy-group.co. We also recently launched Abira, uh, the green coffee company's roasted coffee brand. So if you'd like to order yourself a bag of farm-direct coffee, we'd encourage you to do so. You can do that at abiracoffee.com. That's a b i r a coffee.com. We also have a promotional code for you guys or two of them actually so abira buy one get one and first three free that's for subscription model Uh, if anyone wants to try out our our coffee on a subscription basis uh, we can drop those links here as well as the codes for you all should you be interested in visiting us at legacy group or, or visiting the green coffee company's roasted coffee site through abira Thanks.
1: Well, Josh, I really appreciate your time today. Um, if you have, if again, I would encourage anyone that's interested to uh, reach out. Again, I always appreciate everyone joining us for this edition of the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast. This is the last one of the year of 2022. I want to thank everyone that's listened over the past year. This is going to be my 54th episode of this. Um, you know, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being a part of this. And uh, we look forward to many more conversations. With that said, I hope everyone has a great rest of their day. Thank you for tuning in to the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast. Tune in next week for more investing tips and strategies.
0: Want to hear more episodes of the Alternative Investing Advantage? Search podcast at advantaira.com and subscribe.